if you have your book of Mark with you, you can go ahead and open that up to page 68. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 11 today. Uh, if you didn't get one of the books of Mark when you came in, you can just raise your hand and our ushers will get one to you. It's just a, a little book that's only the gospel of Mark and it has lots of pages in there for you to write and make notes on. Uh, someone left their book of Mark here last week uh, out by Guest Central and they have incredible drawings inside of it and beautiful things. So uh, if that's yours, you might want to grab it or else I'm going to frame it and put it up in my office. Um, and read your notes and what you really think of me. No. So pick that up. But if you have your book of Mark, go ahead and open it up to page number 68. Uh, the last two weeks, when we were looking at Mark chapter 9 and 10. Those were some really heavy teachings, right? It was Jesus. He's been doing all of these miracles. He's been talking about, come follow after me. And now he starts telling people what the cost is of following after him. He says, you have to deny yourself. You have to pick up your cross. And you have to come follow after me. That's the price that we have to pay. It's, it costs us everything to follow after Jesus. But what we find in following after Jesus is so worth any price that we have to pay. So Jesus spends a couple chapters talking about the price of following after him. And now he's getting ready. This is a big turning point because now he's entering into Jerusalem. This is the end of his life. This is the end of his earthly ministry. And now instead of talking about just the cost of following after him and what that practically looks like laid out, now he begins to fulfill some of the prophecies about the Messiah as well as beginning to give a prophetic picture about what his followers would be and the things that they would do after he ascended into heaven. He starts giving us this beautiful picture of what you and I are supposed to be, what we as the church are supposed to be. So in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethage and Bethany in the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside the street, and they untied it. And some of them standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them that Jesus had said, that, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the ground, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before them and followed after him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. If you grew up in a, like a Methodist church like I did, you had Palm Sunday. And this was the one Sunday a year that every kid looked forward to because you got to get the palm branches and you'd like go around. And like when you read this picture, people are freaking out. They're throwing robes on the ground. And they're screaming like, Hosanna, like blesses he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're celebrating. I imagine they're dancing and shouting. And this is what like us self-conscious kids would do. Like, Hosanna. And then we like try to go sit with our parents and we walked by. And, no, get up there. Keep marching. And... And so, like, it was this, this fun memory that I always have of, like, this is what we celebrated on Palm Sunday. And, you know, if you grew up in church, you probably know about Palm Sunday and everything. But um, what, it's, what it's doing is Jesus is actually now fulfilling one of the prophecies about who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would do. It says in Zechariah 9.9, and this was written about 500 years, a little over 500 years before this happened, Zechariah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal, of a donkey. Think about this. Over 500 years before Jesus did this, there was a prophecy that the Messiah would come humbly 
on a donkey and that people would be freaking out and shouting these things as he came into Jerusalem. Like this was a big clue. I think people are starting to like, oh, oh. Oh, like it's starting to make sense now about who Jesus really is. But not only is Jesus fulfilling a prophecy about who he would be and what he would do, but in this, we begin to see a prophetic picture of who we are called to be and what we are called to do. You see, this scene of Jesus riding in on a donkey and being gladly accepted by other people who are shouting uh, Hosanna, which means God saves, is being played out day in and day out again and again all across the face of this earth. And so what I like to do whenever I see a prophetic picture or any story in the Bible, start to break it down and understand who's who in all of this. So when we look at this, it's pretty clear that we're not Jesus. Like a lot of us think we're Jesus and like people just need us. Like, if they just had me, if they just had my wisdom, their marriage would be 100% better. They would be able to get out of debt, whatever. You know, like, we think that we are the answer, that we are the solution. And if, like, if they would just put me on the donkey, like, I would come and I would bring salvation and life would be good. And we might not say that because it sounds narcissistic, but it's what we actually believe in our hearts a lot of times. But we're not Jesus. We can't go in. We don't bring salvation to people. We don't heal people. We should not be worshiped and adored by other people. And so then we look at the crowd, the crowd of people that are welcoming Jesus in. They're recognizing the Messiah, and they're worshiping him, and they're saying, blessed is the God who saves, blessed is this Messiah who comes to us. And for some of you, that might be who you are right now. It could be that this morning or just recently, you've had this revelation of who Jesus is. You've begun to understand that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God come in human flesh to save you from your sins. And maybe like the goodness of God has been revealed and the Holy Spirit's working on your heart and you're saying, yes, like thank you God for Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to spend the rest of my life following after you. Jesus, thank you that you bring me salvation. That might be some of you in this room this morning and that's awesome. But if you're a Christian here today, You've been following Jesus for a while. In this story, you're not Jesus, and you're not the crowd. You're the donkey. And aren't you glad that we're reading out of the ESV instead of the King James Version this morning? (laughs) Would have made a lot better sermon title, though. You're a donkey. (laughs) But really, if we look at this prophetic picture of what's going on, Who we are today as the church, as the followers of Jesus, is we're the donkey in this picture. It's really important that we understand a few things about this donkey. It says that this donkey was tied up, that this donkey had never been sat upon before. It's a young donkey. It's never been ridden. And the reason why this is significant is because it meant that this donkey was sacred. What they would do in the time is if something was sacred for a god or for the worship of a god, it wouldn't be used for any other purpose. In the temple, they had these like, different forks and knives and stuff. And we all have forks and knives, but these were sacred forks and knives. They were used only for the worship of God. They weren't used for common things like us just having friends over and trying to be fancy and cut our pizza on our plate with a fork before we eat it. These were only used in the worship of God. So what it's saying is that this donkey... It was set apart for a sacred purpose. It wasn't just for anybody to ride on this donkey. It wasn't just for going out and laboring in the field. It wasn't for whatever else you might use a donkey for. I have no idea. This donkey was sacred. This donkey was set apart for the use in divine worship. This donkey was born to bear Jesus. 
the whole reason for this donkey's life was so that it could be the one who bore the glory of God upon itself and would carry the glory in the very presence of God to a people who needed salvation, to a people who needed righteousness. This donkey was supposed to carry the glory of God to a people who would gladly receive God and his salvation and the new life that he would bring. That's what this donkey was all about. It was sacred. It was holy. It was set apart for divine purposes. It was only to be used for Jesus. You know why we're the donkey in this picture? Is because that's the same reason that you're alive. It's the same purpose for your life. You were created to be sacred. You were created to be set apart so that you could be the one that bore the glory and the image of God, that you could be the one who bore the physical presence of God on this earth and take that presence to a people who were far from God, a people who were in need of righteousness and of salvation and mercy and justice and healing, just like every single one of us was at some point when the the glory and the image and the presence of God came to us. The reason why there is breath in your lungs this morning is because God created you to bear his image, to bear his presence and his glory to the world that's around you. Here's the way that the presence of God has worked. There would be some people that say, isn't the presence of God everywhere? Yes, the presence of God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. So by definition, you cannot get away from the presence of God. But there's also a moment where there's more of God's presence than there was before. There's a, God's presence was always in this bush in the middle of you know, the Sinai Peninsula. And then there was a moment where there was a burning flame on a bush. And God's presence was magnified. It was manifest in a new and a different way. There was a difference between just the omnipresence of God and his tangible manifestation taking up residence in some definitive place and time. It goes all the way back when Adam and Eve were created. It says that God breathed the breath of life into them. That's breathing. That, that word breathe means like to breathe the spirit of God into them. The Holy Spirit was breathed into the physical flesh of Adam and Eve, and it's what made them come alive. It says that they walked with God. They knew his presence. Uh, a lot of scholars in the Jewish faith actually believe that Adam and Eve had garments of light that were the glory of God that they actually wore. Is why they didn't know that they were naked. But what happened was sin came into the equation, And sin made it so that now we lost the ability to host the presence of God. We were separated from it. And so God sets into place a new way to restore his presence to us. And we see it uh, happen again in the the bush. We, We see God's presence come. His glory is in this bush. We see it again in the Moses uh, story as they're, in the Exodus as they're going out. We see the presence of God manifest in a pillar of, of cloud, in a pillar of fire that led the people of Israel. We see it at Mount Sinai where the glorious cloud comes and the voice of God is speaking out from the cloud over this one place to his people. We see it in the temple. There's the dedication of the temple and God's creating a place now of where his presence can always be with his people. It can always dwell with them. And so there's the temple and there's the Ark of the Covenant and there between the wings of the cherubim the presence of God is manifest amongst his people. We see it again in Jesus. We see a man. We see God who has come to earth and taken on human flesh. 
And now God's presence is with us and it's not confined to a box somewhere hidden away from the sinfulness of humanity. But now the presence of God has come in the person of Jesus. His glory is walking across the face of the earth. And instead of being separate from the sinfulness of humanity, God is coming and he's touching the lepers. He's touching the sick. He's, te- he's touching the sexually immoral. He's touching the drunks. All of these other things and he's bringing his purity and he's bringing his righteousness to them. And then we see on the cross that Jesus goes, that God goes and he lays his own life down for us to pay the price for all of our sins, to atone for everything that separated us from God, everything that kept us from experiencing his presence and his glory on this earth. He removed from us on the cross through his own death. And then we see what God was up to the whole time. What the prophets couldn't understand, what people have been looking forward to for thousands of years. Now we see in the book of Acts, at the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down. Tongues of fire that come and fall upon the 120 believers who are gathered in the upper room. And the presence of God is restored to humanity. Everything that we lost through sin everything that was just God contained in his presence in this little tiny area that just a few people would be able to encounter has now turned into the restoration of what Adam and Eve had in the garden. The presence of God, what marks us, what defines us, what brings us alive, what empowers us. It's been restored to us now. And we're able to now be the donkey. We're able to be those who, with the Holy Spirit inside of us, with the presence of God, with the glory of God, what we do now is we make our lives an altar for the glory of God to reside on us. We become those who begin to host the presence of God and we go out to people who are lost. We go out to people who are hurting and broken in need of God's justice, restoration, and salvation. And we bring them the thing that they need. We bring them the thing that they were created for. We bring them Jesus through carrying him and through bearing his own presence in our lives. And as we take hold of that, as we begin to live out that sacred and holy calling that God has on every single one of us, we begin to see the places where people are lost and fallen and broken and hurting. We begin to see them welcome in the presence of God into their own life. And we begin to see people begin to worship Jesus just like we see in Mark chapter 11. Is that people like, blessings, you know, God is coming to us. He's bringing salvation. He's bringing his righteousness to us. We begin to see people worship Jesus who are once far from him because we just decided that we were going to be the donkey. I'm just going to make my life about being sacred and holy and set apart for Jesus. This is the prophetic picture that God has for the church. A bunch of people who say we're not going to give our lives to anything else. My life is about Jesus. I am set apart for Jesus. My life is about following Jesus. My life is about bringing the presence of Jesus to other people so that they can receive all of the things from God that I've been able to receive. That's what you were created for. That's what our life is all about. That's why the church exists in this world. It's the prophetic picture of what Jesus was going to do for the last 2,000 years and into the future for however long it is until he returns. We, the church, are called to be the donkey. Here's where we get it wrong. Here's where we make some mistakes. Sometimes 
when we go to people, we have the desire in our heart to, to bring God and salvation and his righteousness and his justice and his mercy to people, sometimes we just go out there as the donkey. We don't bear the presence of God. We just go to them because there's something inside of our heart that says that we should go to try to help people, but we do it absent the presence and the power of God in our life. And when we do that, there's absolutely nothing that we can do for anybody else. Have you ever gone out to a situation of where you knew, like, God's called me to this, that this is the place I'm supposed to go, I see the hurt, I see the need, I see the place where Jesus is going to do something miraculous, and so you go out into it and you're expecting people to throw their cloaks on the ground and wave palm branches because Jesus is so awesome, like nothing happens? A lot of times that's because we just went out there as the donkey and we forgot to live a life that was hosting the presence of God. We went out there of our own abilities and found out that our own abilities aren't enough. Now, we can't save anybody. We can't heal anybody. We can't bring freedom to anyone. We can't bring hope to anybody. Like, that sounds really depressing, but it's the reality of our life. There are certain things that only Jesus can do. And he's called us to be the ones who take his presence to them so that he can do the thing in them that he's capable of doing. But Jesus has chosen not just to do it on his own, but he says that he's made us partners in this ministry of reconciliation. That he's married himself to us, he's married himself to the church, and he's incorporated all of his plans for fulfilling all of this with us. He needs us. He's chosen to need us. He needs us to bear his image and his glory to people. Another reason that, or another way that we make mistakes is we spend all our time wishing we were doing something else. Have you ever had that happen? Like, uh, when you think about this donkey, the donkey wasn't excited to go to Jerusalem. Like, well, I, you know what the donkey wanted to do? Go to the French Riviera. The donkey wanted to go where the grass was green and lush and beautiful. The donkey did not want, there was nothing special about Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that was just like normal life. That was hanging out in his own hometown. I don't want to go to Jerusalem. Like, God, send me like to Southeast Asia. God, send me to Botswana. I want to go and really make a difference. Jesus, I want to do all these things. So many times, we aren't aware of what it is that God wants to do in our life because instead of being aware of the way that Jesus is sending us to the people that are all around us, we keep dreaming about the day that Jesus is going to send us somewhere else. Like, who gets excited about going to work every day? I'll raise my hand because I like my job. But, like, most people, okay, a couple people. Any of you guys wake up on Monday morning and you're kind of like, yeah? I kind of do that too. Actually, Monday's my day off. I love Monday. But, but there's times where it's like, oh, gosh, Jesus, can you deliver me from this job? Like, you don't get excited about your hometown, you don't get excited about going to work. And the reason why is because you forget about what your purpose is. You don't go to work because you find your fulfillment in your career. You don't go to work because your job is so awesome and everybody affirms you and validates you and all that kind of stuff. You go to work because you're a donkey. Like you go to work because this is the place that Jesus is sending you. It says in the Bible that we make our own plans. Like who's good at making plans? Have you got plans for the next like few years of your life? Like you're going to write that novel, that screenplay is about to get finished next time you go to Starbucks. You're going to, you know, you're going to go to wherever. You're going to be living in Tahiti, retired farming coral or something. Like you've got plans. But it says that Jesus directs our footsteps. That donkey had dreams. 
donkey was going places. But Jesus directed his footsteps into Jerusalem. There's nothing wrong with making plans. There's nothing wrong with having dreams. I used to have dreams. That's why I moved to Nashville, Tennessee, like so many other people. I had dreams once. Now I have a family and a mortgage. But it's actually way better than my dream. God's directed my footsteps. My dream was never to end up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was a Michigan State fan. Why would I come here? Love blue now. Go blue. This wasn't it. You know, when we were planning the church, my father was like, okay, God, I'll, I'll plan a church. Like, you win. I won't be a rock star, at least not yet. I'll plan a church for like 10 years, own my 40s, then I'll be a rock star, right? You know what planning a church was? It was my ticket out of Michigan. God sent me to the mountains. God sent me to the ocean. Jesus, I hear Honolulu needs another church. You know where Jesus directed my footsteps? Just down I-94 a couple hours. Boring old Michigan. East side of the state. No lakes over here. It's really flat. Food's good. People are awesome, obviously. This isn't where I wanted to go. But Jesus directed my footsteps. Donkeys don't decide where they're going to go. Donkeys are led by their master. You might not like going to your job, but what you have to understand is that Jesus' presence is with you. Jesus' glory is in you. And he's sending you to people who are far from him. You, know, you don't have to go across the world to find people that need Jesus. I've been in the checkout line at Meyer and Carpenter Road at midnight. There are some people there that need Jesus too right here in our own town just like I need Jesus don't be dreaming about somewhere else understand what it is that God's trying to do in your life right now at your workplace with the people whose lives are falling apart whose marriages are falling apart whose kids are a wreck whose finances are a wreck who are hopeless we're doing nothing but just partying and sleeping around because they think that that's what life really is. How many of you have figured out that is not life? But it's a deceit that every one of us is born with. Until we had that moment where someone else decided that they were going to be a donkey and they were going to go to the workplace where you were or to the Starbucks where you were hanging out or wherever it was. It was just their boring old normal everything that they do every day. But they came bearing the glory of God in their life and when you encountered it, it changed your life. And all of a sudden, you're receiving the righteousness and the salvation and the healing and the restoration that comes only from God in you because someone else decided they were just going to be a donkey and live everyday life as Jesus directed their footsteps. Don't focus on somewhere else. Focus on where Jesus has you. You know what? Someday you won't be where you are. Jesus will direct your footsteps somewhere else and it will be better than you ever hoped for or ever imagined. You will even find that where you are right now will be better than you ever imagined or ever could have hoped for when you take hold of the reason why you're there. As long as you continue to resist the reason why God has you where you are, 
You're going to be unfulfilled there. You'll be unfulfilled in Honolulu. You will be unfulfilled in Botswana. You will continue to be unfulfilled wherever you are because it's not about where you are. It's about who you are and who you have. You know what we need to spend more of our time doing? Learning to host the presence of God. Our problem isn't our location. Our problem is always our heart. I'm all about systems. I love systems. I love programs, kind of. Like all of these things that we try to do. Like we've got to change the world. So start a system. We've got to get a program. We've got to get a, like whatever. We've got to institutionalize something so we can really make a difference. You know it's really going to make a difference? Is when you start waking up early every morning. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Holy Spirit, today would you fill me fresh and new. Holy Spirit, I'm going to seek after you. God, I'm going to spend time today studying you in Scripture. Today, Jesus, I'm going to worship you. Today, Jesus, I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek after you. I'm going to learn to be aware of your presence in my life. I'm going to learn to be a good host. I'm going to learn to make it so that you are so welcome and so magnified in my own life by the way that I've been seeking after you that other people, when they're around me, they just sense the presence of God. When other people are around me, they feel the weight of the glory of God in my life because I've learned to seek after Jesus. Instead of dreaming about where I'm going, instead of wasting my time playing video games, instead of wasting my time binging on Netflix or, or whatever, or just continuing to pursue your career or rec league softball, and I mean, those are all good things, but if it's keeping you from hosting the presence of God in your life, in your life being about that, you have absolutely nothing to offer this world. When you go to your rec league softball tournament and you've been spending hours every day seeking after Jesus and becoming a host, becoming the donkey that bears his glory, not only will you hit better. Just throwing that out. That could happen. Could happen. God blessed everything Joseph put his hand to and it would have been a bad if he'd picked one up. But you'll actually make a difference in those tournaments. Those other people playing beer league softball, they're not playing beer league softball most of the time because they love softball so much. It's an escape. They're looking for something. And you have someone to give them. The church was never meant to be a place where we invite our unsaved friends in. Come in here and the preacher man will sing and dance for you and and then we'll play the organ just right and we'll get the mood strings. We'll pull on your little heart and elaborate things. Lighting will happen. And then you just give your heart to Jesus. That's not what the church is. It's like a pyramid scheme. The church is the place where the saints gather together. And we learn, we're trained and we're equipped and we learn to host the presence of God together so that we can go out encouraged and filled with the power and the presence of God in our life so that we can go to our rec league games, so that we can go to the play dates with our kids, so we can see our neighbors across the fence and we can begin to radiate the glory and the goodness of Jesus in their life so that they become the ones who now are wanting the God that we have. You know, I don't have to lead your friends to Jesus. I probably won't. You can do that. You live a life where you're hosting the presence of God. You have to be beating people off with a stick. Like, let me sleep. Go away. I need some, like, alone time. People will want what you have. And you'll have a platform to be able to speak into their life. This is what we do. Hey, Jesus loves you and you, like, you should follow after him. It's really difficult, but it's really good. No thanks. I'm good. I got Netflix. 
when they start seeing the presence of God and the glory of God in your life, yeah, I want that. I'll tell me, I'll how much, I'll make it rain. I want the presence of God. Then you just tell them, okay, now here's how you follow after Jesus. Every one of you can do that. Every one of you can explain sin and the fall. Every one of you can explain the cross of Christ and what it means now to repent of our sins and follow after Jesus. And then you bring them into the church. Then we get them involved in growing and beginning to learn how they can host the presence of Jesus. And you begin to disciple them. You begin to answer questions for them. You begin to care for them. That's the way that God created the church to operate. But it only works if our lives are sacred, set apart for Jesus, to hosting his presence wherever we go, intentionally knowing that I am here in this workplace, I am here in this circle of friends, I am in this family, whatever it might be, because God has directed my footsteps this way. And God has filled me with his presence. And I've been someone who's been seeking after God so that I become a better host for the presence of God and I'm able to hear his voice and I live a life of worship and of prayer and of seeking after him in scripture, living a life that's honoring and pleasing to him as a sacred and holy set-apart person. That's what we were called for. That's what's going to make the difference in this world. But here's the third mistake that we make. Sometimes we try to bear other things. All right, Jesus, I'm, my life's going to be about bearing your glory and your image, and, and there's still some room on there, so like career, hop on. Or you know, whatever, like politics, this is what we do. How many of you, I know none of you. Some of you might know some people who would say that they are a follower of Jesus, but all they ever talk about is a political platform. So I thought you were supposed to bear the glory of Jesus, not bear the glory of your political party. You can only bear one of these things. You can bear the glory of God or you can bear the glory of your career. You can bear the glory of God or you can bear the glory of your family. You can bear the glory of God or a sport or you know, whatever pursuit of pleasure, whatever it might be. But Jesus won't share. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus only. Now that doesn't mean you don't have a career. That doesn't mean you don't have a family. It doesn't mean that you don't have rec league. It doesn't mean that you don't, you're not involved in the political process. You can do all of those things, but you don't, your life isn't about bearing their image. Your life isn't about bearing any of these other things. Your life is only about bearing the glory of God. And as you bear the glory of God in your family, in the political realm, in your career, then you're able to bring blessing and health to all of those things and bring God's glory to every one of those things without ever compromising and taking on yourself the duty or the responsibility of making your life sacred to your political party or sacred to your family or sacred to your career. They can all be good things, but they're all real terrible things when that's when your life is sacred to. Politics and family, those are big idols in the church. And they're good things. But they're really bad things when they're above Jesus. Okay, now I'm going to have to go real fast. The prophetic vision that Jesus has for us, a part of it, for us as a church, we're the donkey. Our life is about being sacred and holy, set apart for him 
and bearing his glory, his image, his presence in the world that's all around us. And we have to really get good at learning to host his presence in our life. He continues on in verses 12 through 14. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry and seen in the distance a fig tree and a leaf. Uh, he went out to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So what's happened is, uh, the way fig trees work is they actually, they get some like little green figs on them and then the leaves come on and then the figs fall off. And then more figs come later. But you see this big, beautiful tree with all of the leaves on it. It's like, oh, that's like, good. let's go get some food. And so even though it looks good and it looks like it should be producing fruit, you go to it and you find out there's actually nothing there. What Jesus is saying is that we are a tree, that we were created by him to bear fruit. And a lot of times what happens is we look good. I mean, like, look at me. Like, I look good. One person, thank you. You get a hug after church. <laughs> we can look good. We can look like the church. We look holy blessings, brother. How are you? I am well. How art thou? Like, we're good at looking Christian. But when you get up close to us, you're like, there's no fruit. You're a liar tree. Jesus curses that. It says, may no one ever eat from you again. Okay, maybe Jesus isn't done saying hard things. <laughs> Jesus doesn't want the appearance of godliness. He wants godliness in us. He doesn't want us to look like we're good disciples. He wants us to actually be good disciples. You know that good disciples can do really stupid things? Like Peter? I heard someone talk about just how bad Peter was. He was so bad that when he tried to chop a guy's head off, he hit their ear. Like Peter was bad at everything. Peter denies Jesus three times in Jesus' hour of need. Jesus wasn't concerned about if Peter looked good. He was concerned about is there actually going to be fruit that's coming out of your heart. Fruit that other people may be able to feast on. And that's what happened in Peter's life. He had moments where he looked like an ugly, leafless tree. And we all do. We're all going to make really stupid mistakes in following after Jesus. But I'd rather have people that are open and honest and real about that, and Jesus would too, than a bunch of people like, I'm good, I got leaves, and there's no fruit. And this is why he says this, because now he comes into the temple. This is when things get real cray-cray. 15 through 19, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief of priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, he went out of the city. It's not only are we a donkey, and not only are we a tree, but we're a house of prayer for all nations. This is what Jesus wanted us to be. Not just a tree that looks good, but he wanted us to actually be a house of prayer for all the nations. And this is going back to another prophecy in Isaiah, I think it's 26 where it talks about how God's house was going to be a place of prayer and worship. And that there would be people from all the nations. They call it the Gentiles. And it's actually in this prophecy, God's saying, hey, 
don't let the foreigners amongst you be scared thinking that God's going to cut me off from his people. I want, I want every foreigner to know that I have included them in my house and that I have made them a part of this family. And to the eunuchs who are scared that because they won't ever be able to have children, that they're going to be cut out from the family of God and the inheritance of God. I want you to let them know that there will always be a place for them in this family, that they will never be on the outside. Because my temple isn't just for the Jewish people. The house that I'm building is going to incorporate all nations, every tribe, every tongue. But God knew that we get real, really weird and scared about other people and how other cultures do things. So we'd want to make it. It's like, okay, like you guys, you don't fit in with our culture, so we're just going to do our own thing. And this is what the Jewish people had done. Was the temple courts where people from all the nations, every tribe and every tongue were supposed to come in and be able to pray and to worship God. They had taken that place and they had filled it up with tables. All of these tables where they're selling things and exchanging money, Jesus isn't as mad about the fact that they're like selling animals for sacrifices because they needed animals for sacrifices. He's not even as mad about the fact that they're exchanging currency for people. What Jesus is really mad about is the fact that they've set up all of these tables in the place where everybody that was a foreigner was supposed to be able to come in and to worship Jesus and to pray to him. That's why Jesus starts getting all the tables out of the way. Like, no, I'm clearing the courts. My house is going to be a place where everybody's welcome in. Where everybody from every nation, every person that's a eunuch, which can even mean like all different like sexuality things that are going on in there, like everybody is welcome in my house. It says, as long as you come in and you worship me and you honor me and you begin to live according to the way that I've called you to, everybody's welcome in my house. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done, you can come follow after me and there's a place for you in this family. We start putting tables to keep other people out. You know, the whole charismatic movement that, that we're a part of was birthed out of a, an African-American man out in Los Angeles. Started in the black church. The early charismatic church was led by African-Americans. And then they got kicked out of it because they weren't white. Took a house of prayer and worship for all the nations and started filling it up with tables to keep other people out. Sometimes it's not even that. Sometimes it's programming. We start filling it up with programming. We start filling it up with different ministries. Now there's no room for people to pray and worship anymore because we've got all this other stuff going on. Jesus never said my house will be a house of teaching. And obviously I'm a teacher. I, I kind of like teaching. I think teaching is important. Teaching isn't as important as prayer and worship. I like doing different ministries and programs and stuff, but Jesus didn't say my house is going to be a house of ministries and programs. My house is going to be a house of prayer and worship. Here's what happens. This week, oh my gosh, I'm going so late. This week, I was downstairs and I was working on this message, and I'm reading about the house of prayer and worship, and upstairs I hear children singing worship songs. And I hear them dancing because in my house, if you like walk, it's like. Dush, dush, dush. And I hear them dancing and they're laughing and they're worshiping Jesus. Remember Jesus just a couple chapters ago, he was saying that the only way you enter into my kingdom is with a childlike faith. How do children worship? Hands raised, dancing, filled with joy, filled with gladness to praise God. There's, they can't sing. It's squawking and screaming, but it's beautiful. 
They pray. My kids, every time anyone's sick, we're just going to pray for them. They have this expectation that Jesus is always going to do whatever they ask him to do. Then they grow up, and we teach them to be like us. All right, now that you've really learned to love Jesus and kids' ministry and to worship and to pray, now come in here. Stand here, arms folded. Don't sing. Shh. If you try to raise a hand, we're going to kill you. <laughs> they don't dance in here anymore. We teach them a theology so they can not expect God to answer their prayers. Jesus says the kingdom belongs to people like them, not that it belongs to people like us. We ought to become like them. Maybe some of the tables in your life that you've got to turn over are the things that keep you from worshiping, like a child filled with joy, filled with reckless abandon and passion for who Jesus is. Maybe some of the tables you've got to kick over in your life is doubt in your prayer. Maybe you have to begin to believe that Jesus is able to answer your prayers. Because this is the last thing that he says. When he comes back out, and you can read it on your own, the disciples notice that the fig tree that Jesus cursed is actually withered. And they're like, what? Jesus says, whatever you pray for, you're going to have if you pray with faith. If you believe when you pray, you'll be able to say to this mountain, remove yourself and be thrown into the sea. And that's actually also prophetically speaking to the day when Jesus returns and touches down on the east side, the mountain is going to crumble. That seems like an impossibility. The foot of Jesus touching that mountain is going to cause it to be demolished and a flat plain is going to be there. We have faith in the God who's able to do that. Radiant Church can be one thing. It's a house of prayer and worship. Because that's what God's called us to be. He's called us to be a people who pray bold and powerful prayers. He's called us to be a people who are passionate in our worship. Jesus didn't go to the cross imagining that 2,000 years later there'd be some predominantly white evangelical Protestant church in Ann Arbor, Michigan who were all like, yeah, Jesus is all right, I guess. Praise the Lord. What that is, is that's Greek and Roman philosophy that we've started to bear on ourselves. So we're afraid of being undignified in the eyes of other people who don't love Jesus. We started compromising our prayers to ask for little, small things. Because we don't believe that Jesus is really able to answer. time to be a house of prayer and worship. Stand with me this morning. Maybe some of you, you're here this morning. And what I love about the story of the donkey is Jesus knew and saw the donkey without ever actually being in the donkey's presence. He knew where the donkey was. He had a plan. He had a purpose for that donkey. Wherever you are, Jesus sees you and he knows you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life.
you were called and you were created to bear his glory, to know his presence. And it's been made possible through the cross of Christ. And for you, maybe this morning, it's, it's that you've never made that decision to follow after Jesus. When you decide I'm following after Jesus, I'm giving him control of my life, I'm repenting of my sins. God, forgive me, I'm following after you. The presence of God comes into you. You're a new creation. You become an image bearer of God. Maybe that's a decision you need to make this morning. Or maybe it's that you've been following Jesus, but you're not bearing that image. You want a fresh outpouring, a new commitment to being sacred, set apart, and holy. You're, you're not going to ride double anymore. You're kicking off whatever it was that hopped on your back. And your life is just going to be about bearing the presence of Jesus and his glory from now on. If you're any of those two this morning, you'd just be so bold as to raise your hand just as that sign of faith of God. Do this in me. Awesome. Thank you. I'm going to pray. Jesus, over every hand that's raised here this morning, I pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I pray that you would work something in the hearts of these people. It says that you created their heart to be your temple, the place where your glory would reside. So Jesus, I pray that you would come, King Jesus, come and reside in the temple that you have prepared for yourself, the temple of your making. Jesus, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your glory. Jesus, I pray that in their life that they would begin to hear your voice in fresh and new ways, that they would begin to become more obedient to the things that you've called them to. Jesus, that they would learn to host your presence. Every moment of their life being aware of your tangible, physical presence with them. Jesus, I pray for the miraculous to begin to happen in their life because your glory is there. I pray that you would use them to bring freedom and life and liberty and salvation wherever they may go because your presence is there. Jesus, I pray for a fresh outpouring of joy in their life because your presence is there. Jesus, for strength and courage and boldness because your presence is in them. Jesus, I pray that in their circle of friends and in their workplaces and anywhere that you've given them influence, that they would be able to begin to see people turning their hearts over to you, that there would be fruit in their life and fruit in the ministry that you've called them to to because your presence is there. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. They'll be in the front on the outsides here. And if there's anything we can pray for you about, we would love to pray for you. Or if you made a decision to follow Jesus or recommit your life to him, uh, come let someone know or you can even fill out on the back of your communications cards. You can check that there because we would love to have a conversation with you and encourage you and help you get going and following after Jesus because you need some people in your corner. They're going to be there for you. So let us know. You can tell someone here or you can fill out on your communication card and turn it to Guest Central, but let us know so we can come alongside of you. You signed up for Serve Day. It'll be on Saturday. So I'll see you all there. God bless, and we'll see you soon.